if you can just lift your voice. Can we just turn this place into a a concert of praise? Can we turn this into a choir of praise? We worship you today, Jesus. We praise you today, God. Isaiah, Isaiah got a, a vision from God. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. He said, I saw the Lord lifted up and his train filled the temple. And he begins to explain this vision of angels that are surrounding the throne crying, holy, holy, holy. We get to Revelations. We get the same depiction of angels that stand in the presence of God, that, that worship him. As I started to think about that, I, I consider the fact that these angels stand in the presence of God. They have not had their sins washed by the blood of the Lamb. These angels have never gone under the water of baptism and, and experienced what it's like to have the name of Jesus applied to their life. These angels don't know what it's like to to fail and mess up and have grace reach down and pick you back up. But yet these same angels cry, holy, holy, holy. I wonder how much more than we that have been redeemed, we that have tasted the grace and the mercy of God, we that have gone under the waters of baptism and have had every sin that we have committed expunged in the name of Jesus applied to our life. How much more can we say, holy, holy Lord, worthy is your name. We praise you today, God. We thank you today, God. Worthy is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Worthy is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you, God. I worship you today, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you to this music team that week after week leads us into the presence of the Lord. I'm so thankful for them. And I'm thankful for each and every one of you and your sensitivity and your hunger for the things of God. And let's let's commit that this year we're going to continue to grow in that, grow in our, our hunger and our love for His presence and His Spirit. I'm convinced that if we can't get hungry for it down here, uh, we're probably not going to be interested in it up there. And, and so if you're just waiting to join every nation, tribe, and tongue up in heaven, but you can't get into it down here, I think we have missed the opportunity that's afforded to us. And so anytime we come into his presence, we have opportunity and reason to be thankful for the great things he has done. Amen. I direct your attention today to Acts, the 13th chapter, and say to uh, those that are here for the first time, our guests, we are so 
honored and so privileged that you would come and worship with us. Uh, this is just a big family, and uh, we, we enjoy getting together, and we have a diversity of stories and backgrounds, but, but we have uh, a common a common nature in the blood of Jesus and, and the theme of what he has done in our lives and through our lives. And, and so we, of all people, are most thankful. And so that's why you see us extend our hands and that's why you see us worship. And, and if there's anything that has happened today that maybe is uh, caused confusion or pause, please uh, come and talk with me afterwards. I'd love to chat with you about that. Amen. Acts, the 13th chapter verse number 21. I'm going to be starting uh, a series that uh, I would like to go into over maybe the next four weeks, maybe the next five weeks. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out together. How about that? In Acts chapter 13 and verse 21, it says, and afterward, they asked for a king. This is speaking of Old Testament, the Israelites. It says, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And I, I direct your attention to verse 22. And when he had removed him, him being Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. That's a, that's a bold statement that is afforded and awarded David. And I really want to take the next couple weeks to unpack the meaning of that statement as I think should be the heartbeat and the desire of each of us to be men and women after the heart of God. And so that's what I want to speak to you today after God's own heart and lean into a specific subject, but we'll get there in a second. So if you would just set your Bibles down, and if you would lift your hands, and, and once again, in, in unity, could we just lift our voices and ask that the Lord would, would speak to us today, that he would accomplish his purpose and his plan in this assembly. Would you lift your voice with me? Jesus, we love you so much. We praise you, and we thank you, God, for your presence that's in this place. Thank you, God for the freedom and for the liberty we have to gather together. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would minister to us, God. You would speak, Lord God, with clarity to us. God, let my voice be, Lord, led to speak with love, God, but also let it be clear what thus saith the Lord. I pray you would anoint my voice. You would help me today. Give me strength in my body and give us strength together. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. Lord bless you. Why don't you greet your neighbor and you may be seated. The scriptures are replete with examples of individuals that accomplished great exploits as they pursued the will of God. People, people like Noah, Noah who endured the ridicule and rejection to follow the commands of God, to build an ark of safety, something that was as foreign as the concept of a flood. Or how about Moses, a, a man who was called to deliver and lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, a man who had serious insecurity and struggles, a man who was a wanted fugitive and was going back into the place where he had committed the crime. 
How about Esther, who risked her life as she approached the king to ask for mercy for her people? Consider the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the concert of others who put their comfort and safety aside so they could follow the leading of the Lord. How about in the New Testament, John the Baptist, who was incredibly misunderstood and eventually overshadowed to be able to prepare the way of the Lord, or the 12 disciples who left everything to follow Jesus. These are incredible men and women of God. Their their accomplishments are studied and their stories retold from generation to generation. And the pages of Scripture are are truly filled with many more. I I just glossed a few. Many who who sacrificed, many who walked in faith, many who were uh, consistently obedient and diligently serving the call and the kingdom of God. But then there's a, a much smaller list of individuals that not only performed great exploits for God, but were publicly acknowledged by God for their character and conduct. Men like Abraham, who who James tells us was considered and called a friend of God. God looked at him and said, that's my friend. How about Daniel, who, who two times in Scripture, it tells us that the Lord looks at him and says, Daniel, you're greatly beloved. I greatly love you. Consider Job, who, who God would, would brag to Satan and said, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on all the earth. He's blameless. He's upright. He's, he's one who fears God and shuns evil. Or Mary, who the angel Gabriel said, Mary, you're, you're highly favored and you're beloved and blessed. But then there's David. The, the, the way that God felt about David wasn't just spoken of in the Old Testament, but it was recounted and retold again in the New Testament. It was a statement that was said about no other person. A statement that is both revealing and, when you stop and think about it, remarkable that it was said about a person. And Scripture records two times the Lord looking at David and saying, You're a man after my heart. Notice, this doesn't say that, that David pursued after God's heart, although he did. This doesn't, doesn't say that David had a good heart, and we know that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Nor is this that David considered himself a man after God's heart, but rather David was considered by God a man after his own heart. Think, think about the power of that statement. God found someone as he scanned for a person to fulfill a role, and he found someone that he could call a man after his own heart. Now, when we stop and and wonder, what does that mean? What does that look like? What was it? We see that it's not a singular moment in David's life that made this statement true, but it's the sum total. It wasn't a singular attribute or characteristic of David, but truly the content of his character. It was David's character, hear me, not his reputation that put him on God's radar. 
Acts records that, that the Lord, it's, it's almost as if it took him a while. He says, I have found David. I was looking for someone, Jim, and I found the person, David. Understand what's taking place in this moment. The, the people had wanted a man after their heart. And they come to Samuel and they say, hey, we want to be like everyone else. We want to have a king. And so give us someone after our own heart. And the Lord, although not happy with it, relents and says, okay, I'll give you a king. But understand, if, if a king is what you want, then there's going to come some sacrifice with that. And the people get Saul. And we find out real quickly that Saul uh, later maybe doesn't have the character, but he does have the reputation. It, it says that when Saul stood up, he was head and shoulders above the rest. And people looked at him and went, that's our king. That's the man we'll put our trust in. That's the man that we'll blindly follow. And, and unfortunately, Saul failed. And, and so God said, now I'm going to find a person, not after your heart, but after my heart. As God looks for a replacement, it was the character, not the reputation of a shepherd boy that got his attention. Understand something. Reputation is what people think of you. Character is what God knows to be true about you. And sadly, today, there are so many that are chasing after reputation. They are working their hardest to weave stories so that you think highly of them. They humbly brag and, and, and work in a public spotlight so that they can be applauded by man. But really, you can fool man, but you can't fool God. And God knew that this would be a problem, and so he said to Samuel, as he sends him to go find this man after his heart, he says, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. Don't look at the things that would make the, the, the sons of Jesse seem like, wow, they serve in the courts, they're, they're soldiers. The things that would make you excited to anoint them. Don't look at those things. He says, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God wasn't too concerned with what others thought of David. The, the outward analysis of David's resume was of little concern to God. God wasn't too worried about how Jesse or his sons thought of their brother David. His physical appearance was of no concern to God because God saw something that no one else saw. He saw a heart. And the same is true with you and me. God's, God's truly not concerned about your reputation. As a matter of fact, we see people in Scripture who God ruined their reputation so he could use them. You may think that because of your reputation, you are at a good place to be used by God, but God, he's not listening to the highlight reel of your life. He's not reading the, the newspaper that your mother or your father writes. He, he's not listening to what your spouse or, or what your fans think of you. He is not concerned. He is not uh, considering those things because God looks at your heart. He's not looking at what you bring to the table or, or maybe what you feel you don't bring to the table. He's also not deterred by your past or confused by your present. 
Because God is still looking for people after his own heart. 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Just like it was for David, God is still to this day scanning to and fro. He's looking in different geographic locations. He's looking in cities. He's looking in churches. And he's wanting to find people whose hearts are committed to him. People who are committed to the kingdom. People who are willing to position themselves. He's looking for someone after his own heart. And David was a man after God's own heart. And as we begin to, to look at David's life, we see like a diamond, there are many facets that made this statement true of David. The first thing that I direct your attention to today is that David was consistently humble. David was consistently humble. When we're first introduced to David, it's not because of what he's accomplished. It's not because of his abilities. It's, it's not because he's popular among people or his prowess on the battlefield. But rather, it's because he's forgotten. There's a party going on at home, and everyone's been invited except David. Samuel, the man of God, comes, and he makes his intent known to Jesse. Jesse says, are, are you going to cause us trouble? And he says, no, I'm not causing trouble. I'm here for a specific purpose. Gather your sons together. And Jesse, you would think, who had eight sons, would say, okay, if he wanted all of my sons, I'm going to go get them. But he says, you know what? Seven is good enough. Well, we don't speak of David. We, 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 David, David's not a soldier like his brothers. They, David, David's out on the, uh, on the backside of the wilderness because that's where David does best. David, you, you'll find David under a tree singing songs to himself. You'll, you'll, saw, you'll, you'll find David at times talking to himself and he says he's praying. And David, he's not much to look at on the eyes. Surely, if we're looking for the next king of Israel, we, we have the contents of the one that they will be succeeding, Saul. And David's nothing like Saul. And somehow God was saying, that's exactly why I want him. Jesse doesn't think highly enough of David to bring him in from the field. And there, Samuel looks at the seven boys, impressive, great resumes, educated. They could articulate and they could hold their own on the battlefield. And he says, God's rejected all of these. None of these. Surely you have another son. Well, we do. <laughs> We don't talk much about him. Well, listen, you go get him, and I'm not going to sit down until he comes in here. And we see early on in David's life, and I'm going to bring out three aspects. You may want to write this down. That first, David served humbly in obscurity. Obscurity is a state or condition of being unknown. It's inconspicuous, unnoticed, not having prominence or fame. And it's truly the state of David. He was unknown. He was unnoticed. While his brothers were working for the king, there's David all by himself. While his brothers were being promoted in life, and it seemed like they just kept going higher and higher and higher, there's David seemingly standing still. Everyone is, 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 is updating their Facebook profiles with good news, and all I have to show them is another day not losing sheep. Lion came today, I fought that old rascal, and he's gone. Bear tried to come, I killed that sucker. Threat diverted. 
I, I'm not fighting the Philistines. I'm not going out and fighting the Amalekites or the Hivites or the, the, the Jebusites. I'm not fighting any of those things. I'm, I'm, I'm only trusted with the family sheep. And in obscurity, there's something you need to know. It's not just what you do in the kingdom of God, but the spirit in which you do it in. Yes, we're called to serve God. Yes, we're called to make disciples. Yes, we're called to fulfill the purpose that God has for our lives. We're called to step into opportunity and make a difference in his kingdom. But what you do is equally as important as the spirit you do it in. Or let me say it this way. What you do is equally as important as how you do it. This notion flies in the face of our world. The world teaches us, make make a name for yourself. Promote yourself. Sell yourself. Show everyone what you're doing on social media. Let let them know. Let let them know what you've done. I want to give all glory to God, but I I prayed for ten people today and all of them were healed. All glory to God. Are you really giving glory to God? Today I was leading worship. Today I was up on the the platform and there was a move of God. It was because I was up here. Today I I preached and God moved. It was because of what I said. And we like to remind people what we've done. You you weren't here last week when I was here by myself late at night. And and you came to the event and you saw the good things that took place. But let let me tell you what went into it. Let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you how sore and stiff I am today. Let me tell you all the people that they had snow in their driveway and I, I wasn't satisfied with just shoveling my own driveway and I, I just want to bless people. And so I went and I shoveled everyone's driveway. You happy? You happy? For... You see, the problem is, is we're, not, we're not content in obscurity. We're uncomfortable with obscurity. We, we want to hear at a boy. We want applause. We want a pat on the back. We want acknowledgement. We want gifts lauded to us. And, and when they're not coming, we figure maybe God is missing this. Maybe I need to help God along. Maybe God doesn't realize all the things I've done. Maybe he's so busy looking for someone else that he hasn't considered what I have done. And so I'm going to help God out. And that flies in the face of everything that Jesus taught. Jesus said it this way in Luke 14, 11. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. I said this yesterday. If you start doing God's job, God will start doing your job. You say, well, God doesn't see me, so I'm going I'm to sell myself. And he says, okay, well, I do see you, and so I'm going to humble you. James would say, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Peter would say, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So your job, stay humble in obscurity. Stay diligent in obscurity. Stay busy in obscurity and in due time. There comes a moment. I don't know what that moment is in your life. I know what that moment was for me, but it was a moment where I was frustrated. I, I remember, and I've told this story, I remember going someplace, and I was so frustrated, and I remember the man of God looking at me and said, you think you're frustrated? God's not done frustrating you. And I thought, listen, I'm working hard, and I'm not getting noticed, but I just kept showing up and doing the work. And yes, there were times I, I tried to promote myself. Yes, there were times I tried to rise up, but it was the moment I became content with where I was that God says, do time. Now is the time. 
So, so you may feel unnoticed and overlooked, but keep serving humbly. You, you may feel like nobody knows your name. Keep serving in anonymity. You may feel like I do so much for this church and nobody sees it. Keep walking day by day. Keep doing the work of God. Keep serving humbly. Don't need an applause because you know what? There's going to come a day where you're going to get the biggest compliment. You're going to hear the creator of the universe look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And in that moment, every applause, every pat on the back, every compliment that someone could say will be no and void because what he thinks is the only thing that matters. David stayed humble in obscurity, but eventually there came a time, his due season, that God exalted David. And it happened seemingly quickly. He was anointed king. He was promoted to come into the palace and to play the harp in the king's presence. He, he then found himself on a battlefield, and there was a Philistine giant that was, was leveling threats against the people of God. And as his, his countrymen and as his brothers and as his, his comrades would hide against rocks, he was saying, well, what, what's the deal with this? Why, why are the people of God hiding and letting this guy spit threats day after day after day? And we see that that after Goliath falls and David experiences success in his life, that he knew how to stay humble in obscurity, but he also stayed humble in prosperity. Because he knew how to stay and remain humble in obscurity, that what happened when God elevated David, David remained humble in prosperity. After David kills Goliath, he's applauded and awarded Saul's daughter, and, and other gifts. And, and David looks at Saul and says, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? You're giving this to me like it's something I've earned, but I know who I am. I know my path. I'm a poor and lightly esteemed man. This is not David self-deprecating. He's not trying to, to push himself down. So, so No, he's saying, if you know me, if you only knew what others thought of me, I don't deserve this. I, I said it on Wednesday night, humility humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. And here's David. Opportunity is, is unfolding. Promotion is happening. Prosperity is coming. And, and he's looking at what's taking place, and he's saying, I, I don't deserve this. I, I'm just a poor boy. I'm just an unknown person. I, I, I don't deserve these gifts. And, and, and it, never, it never left David. David never got to a place where he saw himself, even when he was anointed king, even after Saul passed on the scene, and he comes in, and he becomes the second king of Israel. Even after all those things, there was a point where Nathan the prophet comes to David, and he says, listen, your destiny will be extended forever. God has established you. David, here he is old in age, and he's accomplished things, and he's, he's, he's accomplished territory, and he looks, and he says, who am I, O Lord God? He's not saying this to man. He's, he's saying this to God. He's saying, who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? I, when I think about who I am, when I think about my past, and I think about the things that God has done, who am I? That God would look at a, a young man and think you could be the next person. I'm going to establish you. David had known immense success at everything, yet he never took credit. He never, never considered himself worthy of the greatness. He, he, would, he would just be a conduit that as the compliments came in, he would direct them right back to God. 
As people would laud him with success and say Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, he would just give it right back to God. Every good thing that happened in David's life was because of God. Every good thing that befell him was because of God. It wasn't the case for Saul. You know, I've realized that, that, that sometimes we think that failure is a revealer, but I, I've realized that the, the biggest opportunity you have to see into a person's life is success. Success is a revealer. Prosperity is a revealer. And it was the case with Saul. Saul was a man we see who started off humble. He started off the right way. And, and the Lord gives Saul instructions to go out and to defeat the Amalekites. And he says, you're to utterly destroy everything. And Saul thinks, truly I can keep some of the best of the spoil. And, and let's not kill the king of the Amalekites. I'm just going to do part of what God asked. But, but partial obedience is disobedience. And Samuel comes to him, and he looks at him, and he says, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? He said, When you thought so little of yourself, when you, when you, when you hid in the stuff because you didn't think you had what it takes to be the next, that's when God had his eyes looking at you and said, That's the person I want. But eventually there came a point where you began to look in the mirror. You began to read your press clippings. You began to think that you had arrived. And, and then when the, the Lord of all the earth tells you, Do this, you say, eh, I'm going to deviate just a little bit. He says, Now the Lord has rejected you. Understand something. I believe God is going to do great things in this, in this year, in this church. But when things start taking place in this church, no one gets the credit. When people start getting filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the waters of baptism start being stirred and people start coming through the door, I don't get the success, you don't get the success, none of us get the pat on the back because every good thing that happens, every good gift, it comes from above. And so when success takes place in our life, it's not because of you and it's certainly not because of me. But to everything we say, to God be the glory for the great things that he has done. David was humble in obscurity. He was humble in prosperity. Finally, he remained humble in adversity. The reality is the moment opportunity comes, so comes adversity. And David wasn't any different. As after David defeats the giant and the people begin to speak highly of him, I'm just saying it, they, they said Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. There's an exaggeration taking place. See, the news always exaggerates the, the, the press, what actually happens. It happened way back then. And, and Saul takes notice of this. What are they saying? He, he's slain his tens of thousands. They're only ascribing to me thousands. It says in 1 Samuel 18, 10, and it happened on the next day. That the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house so David played music with his hand as the other times. Listen to this. Just think of the character of David. David's been promoted. David's been anointed. David has had great success. But David doesn't forget his job to serve. He, he didn't get to a place where he outgrew what he started off doing. And here he is a household name. Little boys have pictures of David and Goliath in their room. And people, when he walks through the street, they're saying, that's the man who slain tens of thousands. But the moment the evil spirit comes upon Saul, he says, my king, I'm here to serve you. 
let me get out my harp and let me start doing the things when I was a nobody. When God gave me this opportunity, I, I've not outgrown the ability to serve my king. I've not outgrown the ability. I'm not too big for a harp. And Saul gets angry and he gets a javelin in his hand. And he starts trying to play pin the tail on the David. And he takes a spear and he says, I will pin David to the wall. And it says, but David escaped his presence twice. David, he's done nothing wrong. He served in obscurity. He didn't ask for the kingdom. He didn't ask to be anointed. He didn't ask to to go out and fight a a giant. He he was hoping that someone else would do the job, but because no one else could do the job, he said, I I trust God enough to believe that that if he helped me with the lion, that if he helped me with the bear, this Philistine giant is going to be no different. He's done nothing wrong. He's not posturing for position. He's not trying to come against Saul. He's not spreading rumors around campus that I'm better than Saul. He's, He's not the one who's creating the verses that people are singing. Notice what David didn't do. He didn't grab the spear and say, all right, you missed. Guess what? From my history, I don't miss. I know how to hit a lion. I know how to hit a bear. I know when a a Philistine giant is coming at me with a sword and his reach is bigger than mine, I can take a smooth stone and throw it right into the forehead. And you want to throw a spear at me? Okay, now let's play. Two can play that game. He, he didn't do that, though. He, he didn't rise against God's anointing. He didn't antagonize Saul. He, he didn't say, oh, try it again, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to replace you. It's just a matter of time. Come on, try to kill me. See what happens. I'm going to be a better king than you ever have been. No, it says David walked away. He, he simply left. And this didn't change. When Saul came after David and David had a chance to kill him in the cave, two times, neither time David would touch the anointed. When Absalom tries to take David's throne after David has risen up to be a king, his young son tries to come against his dad. Instead of saying to his son, I'm now going to teach you a lesson. I probably should have spanked you more when you were a baby, but now I'm going to spank you publicly. And David just leaves. And then there David is walking out of town in Shimei. This, this old rascal is throwing stones at him and cursing him and saying, hey, you get what you deserve. And David's mighty man are saying, we can kill him, no problem. Like, this, this guy is not a threat at all. We face bigger and better. We've gone into pits with lying on snowy day. We, we've, we've fought for a hill of beans. Like, this guy is no problem. And David says, no, don't touch him. In the event that God has sent him, maybe God is disappointed at me. And so if, if it's God who sent him to say these things to me, don't touch him. And in every situation, every opportunity David had, It seemed like no matter how far he would progress, there would always be another enemy that would come. With each victory, there was another uh, adversary that came against him. With each success, there was another difficulty. And in each moment, David responded in humility. I I believe there's no greater revealer of humility in us than when adversity happens to us. You want to make a difference in the kingdom of God? Well, there's going to be some Saul's in your life. You want to do something for God? You're praying prayers, God, I want to make a difference? Well, you're going to have some spears thrown at you. You you want to do something and say, God, here I am, send me? There's going to be some shimmy eyes that are going to rise up and are going to start throwing stones at you and start spreading rumors about you and start giving accusations against you. 
But in those moments, how will you respond? Will you have anger rise up inside of you and fight back? Will pride encourage your defensiveness? Will insecurity seek validation and approval from others? Or will you respond in humility? Spears are coming at me. I'm going to do what David does. I'm just going to leave. Rocks are coming at me from every side, and I can't duck them. I can't dodge them. They're hitting me. They're hurting. I'm just going to leave. I remember a number of years ago, I went on a fast, and I remember the Lord in the first day of the fast spoke to me. I was here at the church right out there in, in the vestibule where Victor and Marissa and Linda are. And I remember as I was walking, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, David, what did Moses do? When the Israelites rose up against him and said that they were going to kill him, I said, he fell on his face. He said, correct. He said, what happened when the Israelites went and fought a battle I didn't ask them to fight? I said, they lost. He said, correct. He said, there will be a temptation in your life that when people come against you, that you're to stand up and fight them. But don't fight battles I haven't called you to fight. When accusation comes against you, just move aside and let them know and let yourself know that they're not fighting against you they're fighting against me and there are times in our life that we're going to move and people are going to say things you're going to be misunderstood by your family members you're going to be misunderstood by people at work and people are going to say all manner of evil against you falsely and everything within you is going to rise up and say listen i'm going to set the record straight i'm going to let them have a piece of my mind i'm going to tell them what is true and what is not and in those moments you need to take a page out of the book of david and say listen i'm just going to step aside I'm going to say nothing because if I say nothing, they can't come against what I say. I'm going to let God fight my battles for me. You know, when moments like this happen, we're no more like Jesus. And I think the fact that David was called a man after God's own heart is because he would mirror the life of Jesus. Scripture tells us in, in, in Isaiah, and you can stand with me, in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7, it said, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Paul, I'm sure thinking about this scripture said to the church of Philippi, a church that was contentious, a, a church that, that had issues with the Gentiles and disunity. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. That the reality is, our lives are, are no greater an example of Jesus than when adversity comes our way and we choose to say nothing. That when we're serving in obscurity and we're maybe talented and skilled and educated, plotted and lauded at our work, and we go places and people have no idea who we are or what we've done. 
where we serve in obscurity and we work hard for the kingdom of God and we feel like it's been months since somebody recognized us. But in those moments, I'm convinced you become a man and a woman after the heart of God. Would you just lift your hands all across this building? I want to be a man after God's heart today. And so I'm willing to humble myself. I'm willing to step aside and say, God, I know within me dwells no good thing. Who am I? Who is my family that you would give us the opportunities that you have? Lord, I thank you for these people. Lord, each person that's in this room today, God. Lord, you're acquainted with their stories much more than I am. Lord, you see the stones that have been thrown at them. You see, Lord God, their service to the kingdom. And I pray this year, Lord, that each and every one of us, that as we move closer to become what you want us to be, that, Lord, within us would be a desire to be a man, a woman after your heart. Would you humble us today, God? God, we know due time will happen when it happens. But Lord, today we surrender our outcomes. We submit to the process. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. I want to invite you to come down to this altar today. Would you take a moment to posture yourself in a, a place of humility before God? And realize that everything you are, everything that you'll accomplish, everything that you may or may not do, it's not about you, but it's all about God. God, we want you to get the credit this year. Lord, we want no man to glory in what you're doing. I don't want to take credit. I don't want to try to steal the limelight because I know who I am. So, Lord, today we stand behind you, Jesus. We know, Lord God, that more can be accomplished. Lord, when we're in proper posture, we posture ourselves in a place of humility. Come on, would you just lift your voice today to him? Thank you, Jesus. I worship you today, God. I worship you today, Jesus.